Rusty Quill presents. Hey guys, welcome to the season six finale. That feels surreal to say. Thank you for coming with me on this journey. There will be an intermission next week, and then season seven starts after that. Quick plugs. Give me a five-star review on iTunes. I never plug this, but it helps out the show a lot from an algorithmic standpoint. I'm streaming on Twitch at twitch.tv slash I've been streaming myself writing the episode soundtracks on Sunday nights and also playing various video games like GeoGuessr. I have a special stream planned in the next couple weeks, more on that soon, so give the Twitch channel a follow if you don't want to miss out on that. Finally, Patreon at patreon.com slash woe underscore Early access to ad-free episodes, instrumentals, soundtrack albums, Q&As, biscuits and gravy, director's commentary, and more. That's patreon.com slash woe underscore the best way to support the show. Special thanks to my 10 newest patrons, Kimberly Whitkin, Josh Thompson, Funeral Candy, Linda Cruz, Sarah Sartolomina, Bree, Swalker, Claire M, Feline Foliage, Yvette Ono, and Mile After Mile for supporting the show. I think that might have been 11. Anyway, special thanks to patron Johan, who provided a prop for this episode. Enjoy. Excuse me, uh, everyone. Did everyone get a packet? Chance and Shadow? Packet? Michael? Packet? Charlie? Packet? Edgar asked. I didn't get one, Panther, I said. Well, I'm... Yeah, I'm out of copies, Edgar replied. He shuffled through the pile of pages in front of him, double-checking himself. Uh, You three know what's going on. Do you really need a packet, Bear? No, I'll be fine. I'm just nervous, I said. (sighs) All right, then. Edgar squeezed my shoulder lovingly and then raised his voice to address the crowd. All right, everyone. The peace summit between base and the Council of Hunters has come to order. And who exactly was it that named us the Council of Hunters? Innocent Hunter asked, absentmindedly flipping through the pages of the briefing packet that base had put together. Who do you think? Chance asked, the answer being obvious to all parties involved. We needed a way to refer to them in the document, so I wrote something down. You all could have changed it, but you didn't. I'm innocent here. Chance glared at me to let me know that my joking demeanor was not appreciated in such a serious moment. Edgar's cabin at Over was not equipped to house ten people, not even for a short meeting. It was organized and as spacious as possible, but it was still small like the rest of the cabins. Our body heat threatened to outpace the thermostat as we all breathed in the same space. We sat in a makeshift circle, largely in folding chairs that attendees had brought from their respective homes. Starting with Edgar and going clockwise, we were arranged. Edgar, me, Mike, Michael, Charlie, Innocent Hunter, Punished Hunter, Mystery Hunter, Shadow, and Chance. The mood was claustrophobic and anxious. I had suggested having the meeting somewhere larger, but Edgar insisted on his place for security purposes. He took copious notes, planned contingencies, and had corrections standing by. The preparation for a new base had come with the return of Overmike and Ovedgar, who were in an undisclosed location in an undisclosed time, and had been given specific instructions to follow in accordance with the outcome of this meeting. Another way to put that might be that they were tasked with saving our asses in the event that we screwed this up. Is Anne coming? Charlie asked. We do not have reason to believe as of now that Anne is coming, Edgar said. Oh, she replied, looking crestfallen. I was hoping to see her again. Soon, just not today, I replied. I thought we were getting started, Punished Hunter said. Sure. Mike, I believe you wanted to open things up, so go ahead and do the honors. Edgar gestured towards Mike, giving him the floor. Right. Mike half stood for a moment, adjusting his posture in his chair. Everyone was too packed together for the person presenting to be standing. In addition to the packet that Edgar had made, Mike had a printed page with some prepared remarks that he looked down at occasionally as he began to speak. 
Thank you all for coming, especially the hunters. I know this is a tenuous piece to begin with, and we got you here in this time that isn't yours by exercising our leverage over your continued lives, and that initial attempts to make contact required corrections. As you well know, uh, the failure to come to terms in this meeting is the enactment of the connectivity strike that leaves all three of you dead. You have nothing here in this time in the future relative to you, and I want to make clear that I'm aware of that. It sounds like you're rubbing it in, Punish Hunter said. I would be rubbing it in, Michael said and glared at the hunters. I only want to establish what's at stake, Mike continued. The connectivity strike is at the end of a long chain of cause and effect, going all the way back to before we started it over. Notably, it prevents you, the hunters, from killing 11 people. And three hamsters, I added. Thank you, Mikey, Mike sneered. As you can see from her upsetting lack of presence, Marissa is no longer with us as a result of changed timelines corresponding to these events. The quote-unquote original Anne, the one contiguous with us, was also a victim that could not be saved through our corrections. Therefore, we, the base, and I hope that I am speaking for everyone here, have come here to negotiate terms that result in a timeline shift that leaves all parties alive and confident in their continued existence, at least as far as it involves these two groups. Uh, base, anything to add? Mike looked around the room. If I may, Michael chimed in. I could see Chance and Shadow tense up as he spoke worried that Michael's eccentricities could jeopardize the negotiations. I've lost people before. Team members, beloved friends. Friends who are gone now and y'all can't even remember them. I ain't going into the history, but I learned to make peace with that, with them being gone. Y'all are new to this, but you're capable of the same. It's possible we might not reach a deal here, in which case y'all, Hunter, will reach the end of your story prematurely in my opinion, and Base will be hurt, irreparably hurt, but will carry on. An agreement is not an inevitability here. It is something that we must work toward. And so, let's work toward it. I could see Charlie searching out our faces, looking for our responses, wondering if he was serious that Marissa and Anne might still be dead after this. I gave her a solemn nod. I sympathize, but unfortunately, Michael was right. God, I hate when Michael's right. There was a distinct possibility that no amount of corrections could fix this. Even this meeting was a dangerous long shot that required extensive planning and could go horribly wrong for reasons we couldn't account for. All to rescue Anne and Marissa and, as a consequence, Hunter. I wanted to rescue Hunter. The other Mikes did not seem as keen on it keen on it. I need to spend some time away from the cowboy, methinks. I haven't been the same since he made me go on his stupid movies podcast. Hunter, it's your turn to respond, Edgar said. After that, we'll open the floor to a more fluid conversation, if that's alright with everyone. The hunters looked around at one another, their eyes ultimately landing on punished Hunter. This isn't a negotiation, he said. You're calling it one because that makes you feel better about what's actually going on. You are going to kill us if we don't do what you want, not just in this moment, but every moment going into the future. I understand your motivations, but don't call it a negotiation. I have spoken with these past versions of myself, and we have reached a decision. We will agree to your terms, if Base agrees to going strictly no contact with my group, not just myself, but anyone else who might join my group, in perpetuity for all of time. Mike, I know you have a friendship with this hunter. Punish Hunter gestured toward Innocent Hunter. Innocent Hunter looked at me, a slight melancholy in his eyes. That ends as of this meeting. Whenever you are working at Over, you are to strictly ignore him, continuous through time up through myself and beyond. This is to guarantee our safety as well as yours. Youngest Mike, do you understand? I sighed and shifted in my seat. I understand. In return, my group will spare your group, and your group will spare my group, Punished Hunter said. That is our chief concern, Edgar said. I think that Base will be enthusiastically in favor. Base, do we agree to these terms? All in favor? 
All seven of us raised our hands, mine being the slowest to go up. A sacrifice to be made, but a minuscule one. And none opposed, Edgar concluded. I will remind you that we have a corrections team assigned to this conversation, and that they are prepared to issue corrections to the effect of restoring the original outcome preceding this conversation. As in, things will return to how they were, connectivity strikes still scheduled. Do you understand, Hunter? I understand, Punished Hunter said. While Edgar and Punished Hunter were talking, I reached over and scribbled a quick note on the front of Mike's packet. Are we really going to be able to stay apart? What if we need them? It read. Mike looked at the note. Stay what? Opened? He whispered. Apart, I whispered back. Jesus, Mikey, your handwriting, he said. I don't know. We have received information from our corrections team that they have already corrected this conversation once, to the recollection of none of us. Hunter, do you understand the certainty of a correction in the event of your betrayal? Edgar asked. Punished Hunter didn't answer immediately. He looked down at the ground, then at Mystery Hunter, then back to Edgar. I understand, he said. Wait, really? Shadow whispered to Chance. Chance shrugged his shoulders. Edgar had not informed me of this before the meeting. I had no recollection of a correction being issued. It might have been a bluff, or there might have been an iteration where shit hit the fan. I'm glad that we could come to an agreement so quickly this time, Edgar said though that is not the end of the list of arrangements that need to be made. He picked up the packet that Bass wrote. This is where the packet will come in handy if you weren't party to the events in question. I will again defer to Mike as the expert in these matters. Long story short is that there are more than a couple unexplained mysteries. You're going to need to be forthcoming with some things that happened during your operations, Mike said. That depends on the operation, doesn't it? Mystery Hunter asked. You in particular, actually. I'm thinking specifically about volunteer. volunteer, Mike and I said it at the same time. The hell is volunteer, Innocent Hunter asked. I got sent by Wobegon to officiate, I guess? One of the hunters playing Wobegon. You, right? I pointed at Mystery Hunter. Yeah, I was playing Wobegon, he admitted. There was no tension in his voice or his demeanor. He was even leaned back against the back of his chair. And why the hell would you do that? Mike asked. We got shot that night, I added. I want to know about that too. Was that part of your plan? Not you, not necessarily, Mystery Hunter explained. He leaned forward as he began to describe the situation. We knew from, honestly, extremely obvious observations from your time beginning it over that you were playing Wobegon. The game was on our radar already, so it was clear to us that you were playing. We weren't expecting you to be the one to show up at 44C disguised as a game runner. We thought it could be any of the people at Over playing Wobegon, but we were hoping for the game runner themselves to show up. We got you instead. We learned what we could, and we killed two birds with one stone with Marissa's patrol. And then I completed the fourth challenge. It could have gone worse. We knew enough by the time that I started how to rig it so that it wasn't too heartbreaking. I thought I could detect some wistfulness in Hunter's voice. I knew that Hunter's fourth challenge was his own mother, who was already dying of a terminal illness, but actually completing the fourth challenge is grueling, no matter the circumstances. But why were you playing Wobegon? Chance asked. Chance, do you even know what Wobegon is? I replied. Yes, he snapped back. He didn't make eye contact with me. He was focused on the Hunters. I was playing for the same reason Mike was, Mystery Hunter replied. We wanted information. We were learning about Over together. Once we formed our group, we set out to figure out who else was doing what we were doing. I was playing Wobegon as an information-gathering mission. I glanced over at Michael. He had been uncharacteristically quiet for the duration of this conversation, which was nice because doing an impression of his voice hurts my throat. He was watching intently, elbows on his knees, weight perched on the balls of his feet, one leg bouncing intermittently. He was figuring something out. Did you learn anything important from playing Wobegon? Edgar asked. Frustratingly little, Mystery Hunter said. You were going to learn more, without the connectivity strike, I replied. There are some incidents that you would have been alive for that would have made some things that you experienced clearer. What happened after the fourth challenge, though? Edgar asked, writing something down into a notebook. 
When Mikey completed his fourth challenge, that's when the game runner sent him to work it over, but you already worked there. We thought that we had learned all that we could, so we backed out. Wobegon sent some sort of calibration instruction, but we ignored it. And then I just waited for something to happen, Mystery Hunter said. More instructions, more orders, punishments, threats, anything. But so far, nothing has manifested. No consequences. Michael's eyes lit up in a way that communicated to me that I was going to have to do his voice again. No consequences, huh? He trailed off. Everyone turned to look at him. I think that some people had managed to forget that he was there, an exceedingly rare moment for Michael. He adjusted his cowboy hat. Apologies, and this is all coming together for me in the moment. I ain't saying this is what happened, but you're saying there were no consequences. If there were consequences, I would notice them, Mystery Hunter said. Otherwise, they wouldn't be very good consequences, right? If I don't know that I'm being punished, then I won't stop whatever it is that I was doing to get punished. The connectivity strike. Michael looked at me and Mike. We did the connectivity strike because the Council of Hunters killed off the whole original base during Project Thibodeau. The Hunters attacked us at Thibodeau because Mikey killed punished them. One of y'all, the oldest, inside of Tier 2. Michael stood up and began to pace in the limited floor space, trying to wrap his mind around the chain of events. Mikey did that because of the attack on 357A, which disabled over and potentially other time travel organizations. We learned from our fallen brother Alaska Mikey that the Flinchites were involved in the attack on 357A, who in this iteration used Marissa to carry out the attack to a fatal end. But originally, it was y'all that got roped into it, and that's how the eldest hunter got that scar on his face. And since Alaska Mikey was involved, it's safe to say that the Flinchite responsible is none other than Ty Betteridge, who also took over Wobegon from Ryan around when you would have been completing your fourth challenge. So, I understand perfectly what all of that means, Shadow said, but could you please explain for the viewers at home, or maybe someone who talks normally could? It means we're being manipulated from so far in the future from such a powerful source that we've all been playing Wobegon without even knowing it, thanks to Ty Betteridge. Do I have that about half right, Michael? Mike asked, his hand starting on his forehead as he spoke and then raising up into the air out of frustration. Ain't a pretty picture, huh, Pilgrim? Michael said. He sat back down. Ty Betteridge is running Wobegon? Punish Hunter asked. Ty Betteridge is a flinchite? Innocent Hunter asked. All of the hunters and a few others were flipping through the packets. Ty Betteridge is a consummate professional and a gifted multitasker, Edgar said. He turned to Michael. Michael, are you suggesting that the connectivity strike was a manipulated outcome designed to punish the hunters for failing to continue Wobegon after the fourth challenge? I think it were a lot of things, Michael said. But yeah, that's one of them. He was tired of playing with you. He wanted something out of 357A. It just checked a bunch of boxes. Ty is operating in at least two times that are distant from each other, Mike said. Edgar, you said the tie that Hunter killed in Tier 2 was about your age? Edgar and Innocent Hunter's faces both sunk. I... Sorry, that's what used to happen. Sorry, Edgar, fuck. My stomach dropped in sympathy. Mike had forgotten that Edgar had killed Ty during this iteration, and he didn't take it well. Mike took a deep breath through his nose. He was about your age? Yeah. Edgar closed his eyes as he answered. He put his hand to his face gently, three fingers wrapping around the side of his nose. He was way older than that when he was in the Flinchite compound. It's impossible to say how many of him there are across various time periods. We might not have even met the farthest in the future iteration of him, Mike said. The cowboy iteration, if you will, Michael said. Here's a reach given all of that. Could Casimiris be Flinch? Mike asked. Most people in the room shot confused glances at each other. Chance and Shadow flipped through their briefing to try and make sense of what was going on. Edgar looked at Mike inquisitively. Um, explain? Charlie said. You talked to me about Casimiris. I always thought that Ty might have killed him. Is that true? Yes, Mike said. And Flinch is the head guy, right? The head of the Flinchites? She asked. I don't think so, I said. The night the boot was in my cabin, he told me that the compound was developed in order to emulate what Flinch was doing. You don't have to emulate Flinch if you have the real thing. Maybe not everyone knows that he's Flinch, Mike said. 
Not everyone there knows that Ty is in charge of Wobegon, but if Ty is so high up in the rankings that he can run Wobegon and work it over and punish the hunters for something by using knowledge that can only come from long after the fact and manipulate us with extreme precision, then the person above him must be even more powerful. Michael and I have a pet theory that the situation in Riga preceding Mikey completing the fourth challenge and leading to our exile into the Pacific Ocean makes more sense if Kasimi Eris wasn't working for Tai but was instead Tai's boss, whom Tai was trying to kill in order to take his place. Tai was trying to kill Kasimi Eris in order to lead the Flinchites? Charlie asked. Potentially, yeah, Michael said. We might have witnessed an attempted connectivity strike against Kasimi Eris both at Project Thibodeau and when Mike and I ended up in the ocean. This is all very interesting, if true, Edgar said, but I don't think that figuring out who Flinch is will bring this particular conflict into resolution any quicker. Don't worry, Mikey, I wrote it down. We'll circle back once we get everything figured out, okay? Mike, you mean, not Mikey. It was my idea, Mike said. You're all Mikey to me, Edgar replied. He turned to the hunters. Middle hunter... I wanted to ask you a follow-up about your description of the volunteer incident, if that's alright with you. I guess so, Mystery Hunter replied. You said that you were doing double duty that night, Edgar went on, and that one of the goals was to distract Marissa. Why were you trying to distract her? That was me. I wanted to get to the boulders, Punish Hunter chimed in. I didn't want her to see me, so we set it up so that she would be busy with Mike in the woods when I wanted to be there. So I got shot so that you could check out the boulders, I said. And what did you learn at the boulders? Edgar asked, sidestepping the animosity. That it takes two people to operate it, not just the key, he replied. The key by itself does nothing, or at least I hope it does nothing and doesn't alert someone. I didn't see anything. The boots mentioned needing a second party the night that they roughed me up, I said. There's more than two of you, Hunter, Chance said. You could have done this on your own, just your group. We don't know where the other point of operation is, Punished Hunter replied, or even what to do at it. What do the boulders do? Edgar asked. That's what I was trying to find out, but since I don't know where the second point of operations is, we didn't get to the next step, Punished Hunter said. If you want some speculation, we think that it's some sort of future-proofed communications. It's extremely simple. Its electronics are so basic that they barely work, which is why you can get shocked even if you're using it correctly. At least, that's the working theory. Technology can come and go, both from Over and from anywhere else. You've seen that yourself with the Flinchites, with Over and 357A, and with Wobegon. The device at the boulders is covert and simple. You only know something's there if someone has tipped you off about it. Most people just see some landscape and an electricity counter. We want to know how it works, where the second operations point is, and who it is set up to communicate to. You make it sound like it's for communicating deeper in time, Mike said, either far into the future or far into the past. It could be for anything, Punished Hunter said, but that is what I was implying. We know about some of the methods of interacting within relatively recent time frames, but communicating outside of that becomes more precarious, for obvious reasons. It's easy to imagine getting stuck. Or worse. Punished Hunter made deliberate eye contact with Michael when saying this last part. The calculators we got are chargeable with backup batteries, Michael said. But that don't help if you wind up in a time without electricity and your batteries run out. That could be why the Flinchites were interested in how Mikey used it, Edgar said. Would Ty have had access to the boulders? Charlie asked, turning toward Edgar. I mean, probably. I don't think we can rule anything out, and it is among the things he could have been allowed to do, Edgar said. Edgar, do you have access to the boulders? She asked. Theoretically, under some circumstances. Circumstances that have never arisen, yes, Edgar said. Nobody spoke. You can think that suspicious if you want, Edgar said. I don't know what you think that I could have done. Hunter explained the problem pretty well, in my opinion. I don't know anything about a second location, there's no guarantee it's at over, or even in this time period. I do think it's suspicious, Punished Hunter said. I could see Edgar looking at me, silently begging me to play nice and not get riled up defending him. We were so close to the finish line. We were bordering on the edge of diplomacy. He could taste it. I could taste it. 
I'm not asking you to trust me, Hunter, though it would smooth things over, in my opinion, Edgar said. I understand that you want to enforce a lack of communication between yourself and our base, but even this small exchange of information has been highly elucidating. We've built extensively off of each other with just a few minutes of communication. Is there anyone in this room that you think you could perhaps have constructive communications with? Punished Hunter looked over at Innocent Hunter. Innocent Hunter pointed his thumb forward and to his left, across the circle, at Chance. Chance, you knew Cole, right? Innocent Hunter asked. Chance grunted. Mm. Cole was a close friend of mine. Cole was a teammate, Mystery Hunter explained. Cole trusted him? Punished Hunter asked. Yeah, Innocent Hunter said. Correspondence will go through Chance and only Chance. No one else. Not Mike, not Shadow, nobody else, Punished Hunter said. Is that all right with you, Chance? Edgar asked. Chance nodded. Okay, but what about the times that Hunter corrected me? I asked. Go through chance, Punish Hunter reiterated. I looked nervously at Michael. He met my gaze. He knew exactly what I was thinking about. The Pacific Ocean. I couldn't tell chance about that. Michael gave me a reassuring nod. He would protect me. My eye wandered down to the gold wedding band on his ring finger. So, is that it? Are we done? Mike asked. That's everything that I wanted to hit. We have the agreement, and we're sticking to it, right? And if not, we're going to end up right back here again with no memory and have to do it all over again. So if everyone could do everyone else a favor and keep to your word, we can get back to a safer timeline for all of us. How does that sound? All in favor? Edgar asked. One at a time, all ten people in the room raised their hands. And none opposed, Edgar concluded. Perfect. Perfect. I'm excited. Hunters, thank you for joining us. I hope this arrangement works for both of us. I think we're building bridges. You can think whatever you want, Punish Hunter said. Innocent Hunter shook his head apologetically. For the hundredth time, I imagined the chain of events that transformed him into Punished Hunter, a timeline several times longer than the timeline that was being corrected by the meeting. I will think whatever I want, thank you very much, Edgar said with the tone of a customer service representative that knew better than to argue with a customer. We'll get you set up back in your time, continuous with where we left you, set into motion the correction to stop the connectivity strike, and await our failsafe to ensure that you've held up your end of the bargain. And that's it, so if everyone could please exit, except for myself and Hunter, so that I don't accidentally send any of you back to that night, we can get this over with. We all stood up and left. I kissed Edgar on the cheek on my way out. A few moments passed all of us waiting outside the cabin. Not long at all. Edgar had practiced and prepared for sending them home. The door to the cabin opened. Edgar looked out at us, exhausted from running the meeting, but smiling. They're home. We did it. Get ready. We will never know how many attempts it took for us to get that negotiation to go the way that we wanted it to. Overmike and Ovedgar know, but they know better than to tell us about every catastrophic failure. I remember every catastrophic failure from when I had to help myself complete the fourth challenge. They are simultaneously traumatizing and mundane. There is nothing of substance to gain from these small and obvious failures that we are all constantly making. There is no need to account for every failed state. The meeting as I have described it is the one that ended in a ceasefire. It is the one that mattered. We had treated the negotiation as a return to the quote, original way of things. But of course, those weren't the original way of things and we weren't returning to them. We hadn't collectively decided to do nothing. Had we done that, we would have ended up back where we started again. Instead, we both held up our ends of the bargain. The Mikey from that time, stretching between that night that I first broke into Tier 2, until the previously failed Project Thibodeau mission, had received corrected instructions, much as he had on the night of the connectivity strike. Instead of Mike and Michael scaring him off, he was briefed not to interact with Hunter anymore, under threat of fatal and propagating circumstances, to which he obliged, whimpering like a puppy dog who didn't understand why he wasn't allowed to see his puppy dog friend anymore. Through this process, I became him. His memories ached terribly. 
I don't know who fixed the Pacific Ocean situation, but this time it wasn't Hunter. I didn't call him that night. Instead, I paced around in the worst panic of my entire life, a panic that makes my chest hurt even describing it now, even knowing that someone, Michael perhaps, but I truly do not know, came to my rescue. It was of no solace knowing that this was one of now three of such moments synthesized together, never truly a lost cause, all of them with happy endings. Edgar smelled like the ocean when he came back, and he couldn't remember why. Maybe I imagined the smell. Hunter was still the pawn in the 357A incident. The correspondence with Chance and Base became quite heated because of my known involvement. But all we could do was promise that we had a lead on the investigation, that the suspected Mikey was quite dead, and that we were working on further corrections. And we were, though it was a needle-in-a-haystack situation trying to come up with any legitimate plan to stop the Mikey or Mikeys in the Flinchite compound from doing their worst. We asked for the Hunter's cooperation, perhaps a joint mission, but they declined, saying that they were putting forth their own mission. If there have been any ramifications to the mission by the Hunters, positive or negative, it has not been visible to us. The attack inside of Tier 2 went differently, with no Hunter to come to our aid. Thankfully, and I hate that I am thankful for this, Michael had killed Alaska Mikey, which meant that Edgar had not been captured for the lost year, so we had the amount of firepower that we needed to get the job done. We all survived, with Marissa receiving a note from an unknown messenger telling her that her unique services would be necessary in order to rescue us. It worked, and base was ready to be established. Base operations were largely unaffected. Things played out in much the same way as they originally had, according to my memory. We did experiments, rugby happened. Hunter only played a small part in the original base, so his absence did not make or break most of the missions. Chance, Shadow, and Charlie filled in, becoming de facto members. Thibodeau was a failure in a much quieter way that fateless night, with just myself going on patrol. Just as Latvia Mike had reported that Alaska Mikey had said, I was transported suddenly and without warning into Latvia, instead of Hunter sending me there. There is still no known explanation for how I got to Latvia or how I survived in the woods. I broke out of the Flinchite compound, I was rescued by Mike and Michael, at which point we resumed base operations as normal, sitting on pins and needles, hoping that this correction was everything that we needed it to be. Myriad other things were different, the smallest of things. It reminded me of what Mike said that Alaska Mikey said that most of the consolidations were like. Erratic changes of no importance, a new favorite color, a scar that moved a half inch to the left. Entering this third iteration felt like entering the second iteration, the psychic pain of memories butting up against falsehoods, with the only way of distinguishing them being taking stock of the actual reality in front of me. Base grappled with this together. Michael gave us tips on how to stay grounded. The most important tip was to stick together. I didn't understand how scared I was going to be. This was supposed to be a victory. Everyone was alive again. But that life was contingent on the continued peace with the Hunters, something that felt like it could be revoked at any moment. I was notoriously hated by them famously incapable of placating them or even doing the right thing in their presence. I tried to tread lightly, but time travel was like stomping around in steel-toed boots. During my greatest self-doubt, it felt like an inevitability that I would breach this tenuous peace, that I would be responsible for the death of everyone that I loved again, that I would be alone again, like I was alone when Matt died like I was alone in the Flinchite compound, like I was alone in Cannonball's apartment. The enormity was too much to process. It would hit me in waves, laying in bed with Edgar, being in the room with him, and feeling like I was in a completely different reality. But the peace had lasted so far. We waited a full week relative to the negotiation time before breathing a sigh of relief. It was done. We were in unaccounted time from our perspective. It didn't feel real. Sometimes I would call Marissa up just to hear her voice. 
I filled her in on why, obviously, but since she didn't remember, she thought it was asinine. It's a miracle you lasted long enough to fix your fuck-ups, dipshit, she said to me, lovingly. Thanks for not fucking up too bad, I guess. Anne hosted a party at base when the coast seemed that it had finally cleared. Using a charisma that she possesses and I don't, she was able to get everybody from base to make an appearance. Chance and Shadow clearly preferred a quiet night at home, and declined to perform their music for us when asked, but they did attend. Mike didn't want to go because he didn't want to watch Michael embarrass them, but Michael ultimately dragged him there regardless. Charlie and Marissa were enthusiastic enough to help set up. I was living at base again, just as I had in the first iteration, so I had no choice but to attend. Like Chance and Shadow, I much prefer quiet nights with smaller groups. And Charlie, Marissa, Michael, Mike, Chance, Shadow, and me was a list larger than my comfort level, but I had spent ages away without them. Ages that some of them didn't know about, so they couldn't appreciate the comfort of their return the way that I could. I remember being away from Edgar for so long in the Flinchite compound, the look of non-understanding grief when he realized how long I had been gone away. This was an inverted form of that. I was still the one with the understanding, but they were the ones who had gone away. Seeing them together all at once, in a time later than the original destruction of base, served as visual proof that they were, in fact, alive. The memories of them alive were the memories that were true. And the memories of them dead were the memories that were false. And I could learn to forget those. It was a pleasant evening. The warm outside air made the cool inside feel like a place of respite, a watering hole for tired beasts. There was music and places to sit in one room, drinks in the kitchen, a party game on the TV in the other room. Michael and Marissa were hogging the party game, each determined to outcompete the other one. I think they went about 50-50. I sat, curled up to Edgar on the couch until he prodded me to go talk to the others, since that was the point of a party. I made chit-chat with Chance and Shadow about guitars, about bands, about how I should really get back into both, but I can't find the time. I showed Charlie the hamsters in my bedroom, and had her feed them the milk and honey treats. She adored them. Rest in peace, Chubbums. Michael hijacked the music for a single song and played a country ballad that the rest of us hated while he and Charlie slow danced in the living room. I think she enjoyed it. I tried to needle Mike about his engagement, but he wouldn't budge. He had shown up back to Riga after his vacation covered in blood and wearing an engagement ring. He told us about what had transpired with Alaska Mikey, how Mike had got him to admit to being forced by the Flinchites to help experiment on Edgar. He pulled Michael into Michael's bedroom and locked the door, to tell him things that he didn't want to tell me. I heard Michael punch a hole in the wall. I told them that my imagination was worse than whatever happened, but Michael assured me that it was not. Even so, the vacation, the engagement, the end of this major conflict, and the party had loosened Mike in a way that I had not yet witnessed. But not even his newfound levity could get him to reveal the details of his engagement to Edgar. He floated through the evening, at peace stopping in on whoever was huddled together at that moment. Did you get down on one knee or him? I asked. No, 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 he chided me, no matter what I asked him. That's going to be your story. I want you to live in that moment the same way that I did. I don't want it to feel like deja vu. That's what Michael said about the wedding, I said. Then he was right. Don't ever tell him that he's right. He does not need encouragement. But he's right, Mike said. Did you go on his podcast? I asked. Mikey, I live with him. I didn't have a choice. He wasn't going to relent until I went on that stupid show of his, he said. Does anybody even listen to it? I asked. No, thank God, Mike said. That's the last thing this world needs right now is another podcast about movies. I think he got Boris to listen to it. Poor Boris, I said. I felt replenished. A profoundly ignorant misunderstanding lodged in my head. Things used to be so simple when I first met these people. Incorrect. Bzz. Things were just as complicated and I understood them even less. But at some point, and I couldn't pinpoint where, their friendship had turned into abstractions that I was fighting to preserve without indulging in them. I indulged in them that night. I felt their warmth. I was warmed by it and I warmed them in return and there was an ache that this was the exception and that time travel and bloodshed was the norm, and that that wasn't going to change. 
and that if I interrogated it, truly interrogated it, that I didn't even want it to change. I still wanted the base. I still wanted the power. I wanted it for myself, and I wanted it for all of us. There was no stopping now. There was a sound, barely audible over the music. I couldn't tell what it was at first. After it played a handful of times, I figured it out. And the doorbell, I said. Are you expecting someone else? Hmm, no, Anne said. Pizza's already here. Maybe Hunter decided to join in, I said. Not funny, Anne said. Let's get the doorbell. She took my hand. I was going with her to check. She was scared. Anne and I made our way through the front room to the door. She looked at me expectantly, even though she was closer to the doorknob. I opened the door. The muggy night air hit me in the face. On the other side of the door was Anne. Better late than never, Anne. This was the Anne that I had been told would arrive once we set up shop again. I thought that that had meant getting Charlie, Chance, and Shadow, but it meant the whole base. She greeted us with a coy smile, then grabbed my other hand, pulled me out of the party and Anne with me, and closed the door behind us in one motion. We were alone with her, outside. Nice to see you guys again, she said. We're all proud that you managed to figure this one out, mostly. Are you here about mostly? I asked. Mostly, she said. And it can't wait until after the party, I suppose, my Anne said. I was serving drinks. I think they can tin bar by themselves for a minute. The good news is I am here to stay for as long as you need me. But I do come with some orders that need to be acted upon ASAP, just to get them out of the way, she said. I don't like this, my Anne said. No, of course you don't. It's not a likable sort of thing, Anne said. But there are a series of events that need dealing with because our friends in there might have been acting uh, against our interests, is how I would put it. Meaning? I asked. You know the older dead hunter that dropped into your cabin, Mikey? Anne asked. What about it? I asked. You might recall that killing hunters was the thing that sparked this whole powder keg. It goes against the agreement that you made. That hunter is not an exception, unsurprisingly, Anne said. You're implying that one of us killed the older hunter, I asked. Well, the hunters definitely believe that, Anne said. Is that all the information we have to work with? My Anne asked. We are very strict about the propagation of information, Anne said. The way I see it, there's one option. We can put a band-aid on this and correct the discovery of the body by you and Edgar. That'll buy us some time in the present. Hopefully it'll buy us time until the actual event that caused the death of the hunter to occur, which, by the looks of it, might be several years from now. That does leave us with a sticky predicament, though. Someone at base killed Hunter, my Anne said. And if I had to guess, someone at base ratted you all out by dropping off the body, Anne said. So someone's the murderer and someone's the mole, I said. That's what makes the most sense to me, Anne said. If the Hunters already knew about it, there wouldn't be any need for this little stunt. But why would someone do either of those? I asked. We have it so good right now. Why would anyone ever do that? The Hunter is older than Punish Hunter. Something happens over the next several years that changes the arrangement, I guess, Anne said. That's not strange, that's the way years work. An infinite amount of things are going to happen, things are going to change. If Hunter's body appearing in my cabin ruins the arrangement, why hasn't the arrangement already been ruined? That's already happened, I said. Because of the intentionality of this exact conversation, dummy, Anne said. Get with the program, Mikey. You should know how cause and effect work or don't work at this point. And because that's already happened, I know that you agree to help me out on this one. I was sent here without a way to travel, so you've got to kick this off yourselves. Mikey, you know the coordinate and date, right? I do, I said. Should I go get Michael? He might be old enough to know what happened. No propagation, Mikey, Anne said. Michael's a stickler about propagation, too, sometimes. He wouldn't want you to involve him. It could create a whole new mess of contingencies to cover up in addition to this one. And I'm not even positive that telling you two won't do that. But I can't just waltz in, say, Honey, I'm home, and start using your time travel stuff. You're owed an explanation. She pointed at my Anne. And you're me, so you're cool. And you're unavoidable, so you're tolerable. Anne winked at me. And, Mikey, this all makes sense to you? My Anne asked. It does, I said. This all feels above board, right? She asked. 
It does. I understand what's going on, I said. I remembered a time when Anne wasn't on my side, and I didn't fault her for it. We were playing Wobegon. We were pitted against each other. We lied to keep ourselves alive. Being alive had become a zero-sum game. We hid everything from each other. It took being out from under the thumb of that horrible game to find our altruism again. And that altruism hadn't faltered as long as we had been free, as long as we had been liberated to operate on our own as we pleased. I felt oddly confident, standing in the warm night air, in a way that I hadn't felt since that night when we sped away in Marissa's patrol cart. We were back at base. We were in charge of our destinies. And we were going to maintain a tight grip on that, no matter what corrections we had to make. I'll go get the calculator and try not to alarm anyone, my Anne said. She disappeared back inside and reappeared less than a minute later. Let's go, I said. Welcome to base, Anne. Glad to be here. They did warn me, Anne said. They were right to warn you, I said. I put my coordinates for my cabin into the calculator. I put in the date that Hunter fell dead into my cabin, an older Hunter from an unknown time, that warm Friday night around 9pm, when Edgar and I were watching I'm Thinking of Ending Things, the scene where they talk about a woman under the influence. Let's save ourselves, I said. I pushed the button and sent us careening from one warm night into another, the loud music from the party still in my ears as I landed on my knees in a time prior. It was an easy correction. Bust in and tell Mikey and Edgar to mind their own business. No hunters needed to know about this. Tell Mikey that it's time for a serious conversation with Edgar. Move Hunter somewhere that he won't be found with the calculator. Back in time to enjoy the rest of the party. Easy. It was everything else that was about to become difficult.
Chunky boy. Who do you think did the murder? Yeah? Who do you think who do you think ratted them out? Spoilers. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.